most people never think about when they recruit a board member. They think, well, I need a CEO or I need a CFO or I need a technology expert or I need this or that. What are some of the things they never think of? They never, ever say, well, I need somebody that has a great sense of humor. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, Upwest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello and welcome, everyone, to episode 182. We have with us Dennis Kagan, a serial board member of over 67 corporations. Dennis is a noted high-technology entrepreneur, executive, and board director. He has founded and co-founded over a dozen different companies, taken some public, been a CEO of both private and public companies, a venture capitalist, a consultant, and a professional board member of 67 fiduciary corporate boards, including 10 public companies. Mr. Kagan's book, The Board of Directors of a Private Enterprise, released in 2017, is the authoritative perspective on the widest range of private company governance issues. Wonderful. Dennis Kagan, thank you so much for being on my show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Michael. How are you? Wonderful. Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm in the suburb of Dallas, Texas. Wonderful. Okay, I'm actually uh, going to Texas just in a few days to see my new to see my brother's newborn. Uh, so third time uncle, and I'm very very excited. Uh, but city? Dennis, oh, in, in uh, San Antonio. Okay. So uh, so not too so not too far. Uh, but uh, what I'm very excited to talk to you in these next twenty minutes or so is the fact that you've been a part of, I think, 67 uh, board of, for-profit board of directors, mostly tech companies. And I don't think I met anybody who was on 67 uh, boards. So, uh, so I'm very excited to talk in the next 20 minutes about what it means to be a board member and what is the role of, of, a, of, board, of a board of a for-profit company. But aside from that, a published uh, author, you know, you're an instructor in, the, in business school. So uh, Dennis, I would love for you to just give me a really brief intro to your journey how do you get to be on 67 seats in tech companies? Well, uh, I started working for IBM in uh, 1967, and I hold some kind of a record. I worked for IBM for 366 days exactly. <laughs> I quit one year to the day when I started because I realized the big company wasn't for me. But I was already sort of in the computer industry, obviously, in the 60s. Uh, then I got a job selling com- selling computer timesharing, and I realized that... Uh, the customers I was trying to sell to didn't know what to do with a computer. They liked the idea of timesharing and remote computing, but they didn't know what to do. So two of my buddies who were engineers and I started my first, our first company, my first company, and it was a, it was a remote, remote access computing application software company, and we started it in 1968. 1968 for right. remote access computing? That's right. Application that's software. That's before uh, the internet. And Just for whole, long, long before the internet. Uh, and, uh, so we, for, and, and I was an avid reader. I read the wall street journal, business week, Forbes and fortune, not, not much else. So I knew if you had a company, you were supposed to have a board. So we, we had a board, right. we created a board. So that was my first board. And then every company I started, I've started about 18 or founded or co-founded about 18 companies, mostly tech. Every single one after that had a board. So by the time, you know, time passed, people that I was in business with knew me as having a board. So whenever they thought about a board, the only person they knew that was on one was me. So I got a lot of questions. So I, that's how I got involved in one company after another. They said, well, 
what does a board do? And I would talk about it and they say, well, will you help me? Would you be on the board? And that's still happening today. Okay, so, that, so that's how you actually, that's how you get introduced to 67 different, uh, different board positions. But, you know, uh, you know when, when thinking a bit more broadly about the, the role of the board of directors, that's not a controversial topic, right? I mean, as you know, growing up as a, as a young entrepreneur now, it's very, it's very natural for me to understand that, yeah, every group that wants to, that, that has some difficult decision-making processes needs this other group who, who will oversee it and sort of strategically think what is the best way to get from point A to point B. Well, yes, but you're, you seem to be a step ahead of most uh, young entrepreneurs. Most of them recognize, well, yeah, I have a board, but me and my partner are fine. We don't need any other advice, or we don't want to get anybody involved because we're afraid what if they get control, and what if we have to listen to them, and there's a lot of different arguments and questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not as educated as you are. The primary reason to, to have – if you have a company, you have a board by default, legally. Right, right. Maybe yes, just in the bylaws, you, right. But you've got one, okay? Right. If, you, if it's just you or just insiders, you're getting the imp- – the opinion and the guidance of insiders, employees and family and whatnot, you get their guidance anyway. They're not bringing anything new to the party. The reason to have a board is to expand the perspective that you're getting to include highly capable other people that you respect who can give you a different perspective, different experience, different context than you already possess to expand your capabilities. So it's like going out and bringing on some other people who are highly regarded in their fields as consultants, so to speak. Right. And if you have a private company, people don't understand. The the CEO reports to the board. If you're the board, then you report to yourself. Okay? Right. But if you if you have if even if you were the only person uh, insider on a seven-person board and you had six other people on the board and they all voted against you, if you own controlling interest. You, you just call a meeting and fire them, or you do whatever you want anyway. If you owner, the board reports to the owners, even though the CEO reports to the board. And a lot of people- So, so but, but then it's, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, it makes perfect sense, but there must be some conflict that sometimes getting a board too early invested in the company and too many different ideas and different perspectives too early can actually be detrimental to your progress. Because, you know, in my mind, you're starting a company you, as like, you know, in the earlier you are, the faster you have to move in order to prove yourself and to, and to sort of break things, right? And having more people involved in the decision-making processes can just make it more difficult. So is there a sweet spot from your perspective on when it's the right time to have external people coming in with their specialty and expertise? The, the, the issue that you're alluding to is really a factor of who those people are, not whether you have them or not. Okay. And so at an early stage, if you could afford to hire six of the top people in the country in certain fields like sales, finance, marketing, manufacturing, software development, whatever it is, if you could afford to hire six people like that and you would, then why wouldn't you get those same types of people, if not the same people, to join the board for a few stock options and get their advice and their input? Get their because experience. isn't the board isn't the board much longer term that you're saying you're sort of committing to have this person a part of your journey for many years down the line? Well, that's a good that's a good question. The board is not a lifetime position, and companies companies particularly in the early stage they tend to evolve quickly. So you may mm. bring, so you the best you might be able to do is get somebody who used to be a director of something at a big company, 
But you grow a little and you gain a little bit more experience and your company becomes a little bit more valuable, so to speak, then you might be able to, to approach somebody that has more experience, is more accomplished. Maybe the but what happens answer, to that first person? Because, you, you know, what, what happens? You, you, you cordially ask them to resign. You give them their stock options and you move on. You cycle through. Bringing, is that common? Is that common it, to cycle through and ask board it's members not to common, leave? It's not common enough. Uh, too, many, too many people think, well, I've committed to them. I don't want to get rid okay. of them. Now, one mechanism that, that most companies use to avoid that problem is they have terms, like a one-year board term or two-year board term or something like that. Okay. And so even if they don't like the person, they're, they're reticent to ask them to resign, okay. even in a very cordial way. So they, well, we'll live with this person, even though they're disruptive and their advice isn't any good anymore, because in, in a year and a half, they'll be off the board anyway. No, that's wrong. Make arrangements for them to leave the board if they're not doing what you That's fascinating. Okay, exactly. I don't think I've, you know, in, in all the board uh, discussions that I've had around this, about the strategy behind structuring for a board and so on, uh, you know, very rarely I, I hear about this, you know, what, what to do when you don't have a successful board. And what I'd love to spend some time on with you, Dennis, is to, to get sort, sort of, you know, your, uh, to pick your brain on your experiences and what are some of the most, you know, successful parts of the board and the least successful parts of, of the board experience so that, you know, I can learn from your personal experiences. Well, the best, the best part of a, the, the best part of a board is that you receive first class advice from experienced experts particularly in areas that you may not be as competent in, or you may not have other people involved in your company that know a lot about that. In the early days, you may not be able to afford a CFO. So having mm-hmm. an experienced CFO gives you a financial perspective. Maybe you can't, maybe there's nobody in the company that has big time CEO experience. So having a right. big time CEO might give you the benefit. So you're receiving best of class advice. Number two, no one person can think of everything. And so right. it get, by, by, by getting together with a capable group of board members, men and women and so forth, then you, you're likely to get fresh perspective, innovative ideas that you didn't already think about yourself. Like, whoa, I never thought of that. That be, Particularly board members are very good at, in one industry of saying, well, in my business, when when we face problems, we did this and this and this, and it might not be common in your business, but they bring a perspective of things in other industries, in other right. countries or whatever that may have worked well for them, and it may spark an idea. It really it's using the board as a competitive advantage, giving you an in, interesting an inside track. Uh, the next thing is that it can provide very very impressive optics for right. customers. Uh, for vendors, for investors. Uh, I've put people on the board that that people said, how did you ever get a person like that on the board of a startup that had no revenue? I mean, world-renowned, you know, CEOs and four-star admirals and all kinds of key. I brought, wow. I, got, I got the guy that had been previously the director of the NSA to join the board of a cybersecurity software startup. So you don't know who you can get. I've gotten, I recruited a guy to one of my boards a number of years ago, like 15, 16 years ago. He's still on the board. He had to retire because he reached the retirement age. So he had been on the board of General Motors, Raytheon, Hewlett Packard, and Hughes Electronics (laughs) for four years. 
and he was previously wow. president of Caltech. And, and he joined the board of a startup for some stock options. And he's still wow. on the board today. It's not a startup anymore, but he's still on the board today. His experience and connections were invaluable to the company. And he's just one of a number of board members over the years. You don't know who you can get until you try. It's an honor to be asked, even if, you, even if it's not something that you would consider for a variety of reasons. So it gives you, uh, and then the, if, you're, if you're an early stage company and you're completely controlled by insiders, whether it's a family mm-hmm. business or whether it's a tech startup and you've got one or two or three founders, okay, having independent board members provides a good buffer between disagreements an independent board member can right. mediate issues between founders, right, right. whether they're family issues or founder issues, and give some perspective like, hey, Sam, you know, Bill's got a good point there. Have you considered this or this so that they can soften the, the kind of conflict that founders also, uh, often have? So what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm hearing from this is that one of the one, – one, so the, there's two really critical lessons there. One is that one of them is to approach not be afraid, like shoot for the stars, approach the people, even if they don't have time, they'll, they'll, they'll be honored for asking, even if they were the previous president of Caltech. And worst case, you'll get a no, talk to me later in a different time, right? The second lesson here is that you want to make sure that your board members are as independent of a relationship with you as possible because they will then be able to help you go, help mediate through conflicts. And even if you and your co-founders are, you know, the best, co-workers in the world and you get each other, conflicts are inevitable, De- decision-making will be difficult, and having somebody independent will be very useful for those moments where, you know, emotions might kick in or there's really vehement disagreement over something, right? So uh, uh, I recruited once the founder, chairman, and CEO of one of the five largest tech companies in the United States to a board of people he didn't ever know in a city that he wasn't in, uh, but he was interested in their business. So he agreed to join the board. Now, he was the CEO and chairman of the company up until the time it went public originally. Then he wow. retired. But on, an, but on a growing tech company that had some similarities to his, he regretted not staying with the company after it went public. It's a very, very, very famous company. He left when it went public, but he never took it from that point to where it is now. So he regretted that. So the opportunity to join the board of a company that might have where his input might be beneficial to get them to the next point was just a way that he could participate again and, and sort of contribute something. So you don't know, you don't, you don't have any idea the types of people you can get. Now, it's, it's a chance to interview somebody, even if they don't agree to join the board. And even if they don't want to join your board, they, they're, the likelihood is they're going to say, you know, I can't do it for these reasons, but I know somebody else that might be interested. And then you right. get a recommendation to them from this person. Right. No, no, that, definitely. Okay. So, so, you know, looking back at these, you know, 67, uh, you know, board positions, what are some of the key things or key takeaways that you take from, from having a successful group of board members? I get why, Specific individuals will be great for for the company and for the team, but at the end, you know, when you think when I think of of a board of a company, I think of about you know seven eight people sitting around a table, and all each of them alone is a superstar perhaps, but 
but but together they have to work together to make some decisions, right? A lot of the time there's voting decisions. So so what makes a successful group of board members rather than an individual? Well, as I think you know, uh, uh, I in 2012 I thought you know what is it that I know more about than most people? I'm okay CEO. I'm okay at this. Okay at that. But I'm not like the world's best at this. But what what can I claim that I know as much or more than anybody about? And it dawned on me. This was in 2012. That is private companies and boards of directors. And so that's when I decided to write my book, which was published in 2012, The Board of Directors of a Private Enterprise. And uh, in that book, there's there's a chapter, for example, there's a chapter on how to fire board members. No, as you said, nobody ever talks about it, but it tells you how and why to fire board members and how to do it successfully. There's also a chapter about personalities. And, and things that contribute to bad boards or good boards. And that's where you're going now. So, yes. for example, in there, I have a list of things that most people never think about when they recruit a board member. They think, well, I need a CEO or I need a CFO or I need a technology expert or I need this or that. What are some of the things they never think of? They never, ever say, well, I need somebody that has a great sense of humor. Or they might think, well, I need somebody that's collaborative. Or I need somebody that can park their ego at the door. Right. Or, you know, if there's personality traits, you're, you're bringing a bunch of type A's to the board. You want to make yeah. sure that they can subjugate their own egos and listen and focus their energies for a reasonably limited amount of time each month or each quarter on solving the problems of somebody else. They, and they need to be able to work together. If they all have to jump up on their soapbox and lecture each other, you know, you can imagine if you got the, if you got five top CEOs all in a room, not listening to each other, but just lecturing each other, you're not going to accomplish anything. So those people aren't suitable. And what I tell people is that they're, depending on what you need for your board, you should be filling roles in the board that are important things for you but that you don't feel are adequately represented within your employees and within your other, you know, close, close associates. What, what expertise don't they have? But then I'll tell people there may be 10 people that are qualified, maybe a hundred people that are qualified to fill that role in your board, but there may be only one or two that are suitable. Right. Qualified isn't suitable. What's their personality? How does it mesh with your culture? Because the right board would be listening, giving their input, not repeating. One of my favorite things that that I've learned from this one guy I mentioned, who had been on all those big boards, is that when 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 it come, when the CEO says, "Okay, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this?" It goes to each board member. When it gets to this board member, if he doesn't have something different to say, something that not has not been said before, he'll say. I agree with what she said. And that's it. He doesn't have to Mm -hmm. get up on a chair and say, well, I think, and then repeat what everybody else has already said. Is that a common, is that, is that something very common with boards that you end up having ego struggles rather than solving the actual problems? Yes. Particularly if they haven't been put together by somebody that has some experience or some sensitivity, that can be very, very common. I, uh, one time, uh, I had spun a company out of another company. I found a CEO. I set it up. We moved it to another location. 
Later on, that company's now was bought uh, about two years ago for about five or six hundred million dollars. But when we brought in our when we brought in our second round of venture investors, the first board meeting we had with the new venture capital investors, uh, we were standing around in the boardroom with all the management and the board members and the previous investors that were on the board. And this guy walked in, and I was having a conversation with the CFO at the time, and the, and this new investor, venture capital investor, walked in the room. And he walked around the room, talking to each group, shaking their hand, and a very, very unusual body language. So the, CF, so the CFO turns to me and says, what is he doing? And I said, oh, don't mind him. He's just urinating in all four corners of the room so that everybody knows who owns the company now. Okay. okay, that's not going to be a productive board member. In this case, they had no choice. He was the lead investor. However, they also didn't do their proper diligence in selecting who was going to be that right. investor to find out, well, who's going to be on the board. And I've had CEOs that said, well, I prefer this venture, the, these two venture capital companies because they know more about my business, where I told the CEO, no, they have a history of being interfering and not collaborative, even though even though you think they know more, I would suggest these other two venture capitalists because they have a history of being very supportive of founders and management, even in tough circumstances. And the CEO went with his own, his own choice. And within a year and a half, they had taken the company away from him. They had booted him out. Wow. Okay, Dennis, I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm in the middle of business school here. This is incredible. And the lesson that I'm taking from this here is that, you know, at the end, it, you know, if you're building a company, it's your baby, you're working so hard to make it successful. Some, sometimes we get blinded by the term sheets that we get or by the names of the ventures and we forget to do the real due diligence on our due diligence on them and understanding how are they going to call partner with us beyond the wiring of the funds to help us our burn rate. How are, are, they, how are they going to help us, you know, ex, make the expenses and, and to reach our milestones? And, and it sounds like really the, the, most, the most important way to do this is to actually learn from their experience, not ask them how they are on board seats, but ask other people who they've been on board yes. seats and get their perspective because yes. you can't find this stuff on Crunchbase. You can't find it on TechCrunch, right? This That's is all, right. you know, uh, internal. Also, one of the things that I spend the most time doing with early stage companies is preparing their incorporation and their governance processes so that investors can't come in and get control of the company. There's a number right. of things that can be done early on that can make it difficult for an, even if a, even if an investor gets voting control, there are things that can be done earlier on, not at the last minute, but earlier on that can make it very difficult for them to get voting control beyond just getting 10 votes per share or like in Snapchat's case, no votes for any public shareholder. There's other more subtle things that can be done. But nobody tells the founders how to do that. The idea you ask, when do you bring on a board? You definitely bring on a board before you bring on investors mm -hmm. that are going to want to be on the board. Right. So you want to form the board the way it's best for you. Then you want to add your institutional investors to that board. Many people say, well, I'll form a board and I'll get a stock option plan as soon as I get investors. That's too late because once you get investors, they then have a say-so as to who and how many are on your board. If you do I mean, it the way that you want to do it first and they join the board, then they're joining an existing board. It's a much different dynamic 
because the favorite venture capital board is two VCs and a founder. Okay. My favorite right. venture capital board, it optimally, is seven board members. The founder, five or six, or two founders, five or six outside, four or five outside demand. And right. then the venture capital joins a board like that and they don't dominate the company. No matter how, no matter what their equity, and you've is. already and you've already set the expectations and the culture for the actual board meetings. Exactly, so they're not coming in and dictating how they want. Dennis, this was so enjoyable. Thank you so much again for the, for your generosity with your time and the inspiration. Before we leave, I have to ask you for three words that you would use to describe yourself. Well, I think that that, that it comes down to first of all, at heart, going back to 1968, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is that I'm really. Although my my major in college was economics, I'm really a tech guy, starting with okay. IBM and all the way through. I'm really fa- favorably inclined towards technology, all kinds, but mostly IT related, semiconductor, it, just a whole bunch of different stuff. And then lastly, uh, particularly over the last number of years, uh, governance, corporate governance has has really captured most of my interest and most of my time, including the book. So it really would really be those three things that would highlight my, th- there would be three business words, not necessarily personal words. I love it. Dennis, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate your time and effort. I look forward to reading, uh, I look forward to reading the book as I gear up to start my own company later on and, and for my own board, for my own board members. So also expect another email to request some advice from you. Uh, but thank you very, very much. Stay safe yeah, and stay healthy. My pleasure, Michael. It's the Board of Directors of a Private Enterprise, and it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Take care.